Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. Doing good this morning? What happened to the video? We just wanted to keep you in suspense. That's what it was. We wanted you guessing on what was going to happen next with a bumper video there. Hey, so glad that you're with us here today. Thank you, everyone who's joining us online. If you would, take a second and just like and share the live stream today to help us get that message out there and reach as many people as we possibly can. You guys that are here today, if you don't mind, even right now, you could hop on your phone and, and share the live stream or check in today to let people know where you are so that we can get the church out there and reach as many people as we possibly can. I am really excited about Elevate that's coming up at the end of this month. It is just a really powerful time for us as a church to come together and hear the vision and the heartbeat of what God is doing in our church. And it gives you an opportunity, if you're, you're newer here, if you're not really connected to what's going on here at, at Eastgate, it gives you a chance to come in, no commitment. You can just be there and watch what's going on, hear the vision, hear the plans, hear what's upcoming, and know better what's going on in your church. So that's just something that we love to do. And there's some really good teaching and really good training that happens at Elevate. Um, it's not just another service that we do here. We focus on personal growth and leadership development also on those nights, as well as the greater vision of the church and what God is doing. It's a very powerful time. So you guys watching online, if there's something you might be interested in joining up with here at Eastgate or you just want to know more about us. Uh, son, or, uh, be here Monday the 28th and uh, get ready to be part of what's happening here at the church. It's going to be awesome. I'm ready to start this series though today. You guys ready to get into the word? Yeah. You guys in love with Jesus this morning? Yeah. So glad that y'all are here today on a nasty weather day. It, sounds a lot, it says a lot about you guys to be here. As I always say, on, on rainy days, you know who loves Jesus the most because they show up at church. So you love Jesus more than everybody else in the church. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, starting a series today on the life of Paul. And Paul, I think, is one of the most prolific characters in Scripture. I mean, you could not stop the guy. He was unstoppable in everything that he did. All the opposition that he faced and all the people that came against him, he never stopped moving forward in what God called him to do. And I can respect that as a pastor because there's different uh, seasons in ministry. Some are difficult and, and some are less difficult. But you could not stop Paul. Everywhere he went, church planted, church planted, church planted, revival, people saved, church planted, church planted, church planted. He was an unstoppable force. For the kingdom of God. Paul is amazing. Did you realize that about half of what we have as the New Testament came from Paul's inspiration from the Holy Spirit? He was powerful in that way. Paul is the guy that taught us about the Holy Spirit and his workings. He's the one that taught us about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul is the guy that unpacked what love really means in that famous passage of Scripture in Corinthians 13. He's the one that gave us that. Paul broke down what grace really meant and, and how to not just step out of the bondage of sin, but how to continue to be free from sin in your life. Paul is the one that gave us all of that stuff, and all the while he was dropping such deep knowledge in the Word of God. He was on missionary journeys. He was facing storms and persecution and opposition, in and out of jail. He was just something else. He was absolutely amazing. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at this guy and looking at what we can learn from him uh, out of Scripture. Today, we're going to look at just the very beginning, our very first introduction to Paul in Scripture. Um, but you know, before Paul was Paul, 
He was a guy named Saul. Paul had a past. Paul had some B.C. days. You know what I'm talking about? Those before Christ days? Like Paul had that, that testimony that most of us in this room and most of us watching online right now have. We had those days before Jesus to look back on. Paul used to be Saul. And it, it kind of reminds me of the time when uh, uh, like Kelly and I were dating uh, before we got married, which most people do. But I remember when we were, we were still dating, uh, I took her on a road trip from Texas here to, to Georgia and it was a big one. I was going to introduce her to my family for the very first time. I'd already met her family, but she was about to meet my family for the first time. Y'all remember those days when you introduced, like, your spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend to your family, and you're running through, like, all the dysfunctional crazy stuff that is about your family sometimes and, like, the crazy stuff your brothers and sisters could do? And are they going to be, behave? Or are they going to get buck wild crazy and embarrass the fool out of me, you know, and all this stuff? And so... All that's flashing through my mind. And I had a pretty tame family growing up. But still, you think those things. And so we, we got here to Georgia, and one of the first things Kelly wanted to do was look at every photo of me that was in the house. Yeah, so she started looking at all the pictures hanging up on the wall and all the pictures that were on the shelves. You know, younger me and me as a kid dressed up in camo and me, little four-year-old me dressed up in my 70s suit looking all sharp and stuff, you know, and... And so I thought, well, she's looking at pictures. And my mom started busting out pictures like when I was growing up and showing her. And Kelly was loving it. And I was like, well, she's into pictures. I'm going to show off a little bit. So I broke out the yearbook. And I'm like, I'm going to show her pictures of me in the yearbook playing basketball. I know it's hard to believe, but I did play basketball. I was a good point guard, by the way. Uh, I'm going to show her pictures of me playing football. I'm going to show her pictures, the cool pictures of me in high school. So she'll think, she'll think man, Josh, Josh has just got it going on. I'm a lucky girl to be with a guy like this, you know. And we started flipping through the yearbook, and I was like, yeah, there's me playing basketball. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that? Oh, yeah, that's a little newspaper article I put in there. Oh, yeah, it does say I scored 18 points that game and had 10 rebounds. Yeah, but that's just whatever, you know. It's just, oh, what? Oh, I was the star of the game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, those high school days, you know. Uh, it was flipping through and showing her pictures of me playing football, and it was just going so good. And then we flipped to the class pictures that they have, and I messed up. I forgot that this picture was in my yearbook. I forgot that one was hiding in the yearbook. This is the day that I missed picture day at school, and my mom busted out the Olin Mills family photo shoot and snuck me in there. And I forgot that forever in my yearbook, there's that picture of me. My, look at all that hair I had back then. Never mind that it's kind of right here puffy and it's real long in the back because that is not a mullet, even though it looks like one on there. Uh, look at that sweater I've got going on. Dude, I was rocking it. I forgot about it. This is one of the most embarrassing photos ever of me. I hate this thing because I'm all propped up in front of the fake Christmas tree background they had at Olin. Y'all remember Olin Mills, right? Man, oh man. Yeah, all the family portraits were there. And, <laughs> and I, I don't even know how you would caption this thing. What would you, like, how are you doing? You know, maybe something like that. I don't know, but she saw that, and I was like, oh, no, 
I forgot that thing was there. Let's just flip the page and keep moving on, you know, because I forgot that there was some stuff in my past that I wasn't so proud of. And this photo was one of them. How many of you know that there's some stuff in your past that you're not exactly proud of? Yeah, yeah, it's my, my past too. Stuff in my past that I'm way not proud of. And what we're going to look at today is Saul, before Saul became Paul. And we're going to kind of get into some of Paul's dirty laundry and look at his past. And more importantly, we're going to look at the powerful conversion that took place in his life. Historically, I don't know if there's ever been a bigger 180 than what happened in the life of Saul converting and becoming the Paul that we know in Scripture. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them up to the book of Acts. We're going to pick up here right before we're introduced to uh, Saul before he became Paul in Scripture here. In chapter 7, verse 54, it reads, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Now, they're gnashing their teeth at a guy named Stephen who was preaching his heart out right then, and he was just letting these people have it. Like he was going through history showing that Jesus was the Messiah, and he was showing them how they had just crucified the Messiah that they say that they're waiting for, and, and his blood was on their hands, and they had just about had enough of it. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Y'all want to stop here for just a second. And just point out the fact that Stephen's preaching to these people and they're hating on him. You know, you can be anointed by God and hated by people at the same time. I think one of the bigger lies that's ever been told in the church that is, is that if you serve Jesus, if you give him your heart, if you give him your life, then it's all going to be sunshine and rainbows after that. You're not going to face any opposition. You're not going to have any trouble. And have you ever heard somebody tell you, well, you know, if, if you're doing what God wants you to do, it should be smooth sailing, and you shouldn't be having all the opposition that you're having in life. Well, the Bible says something completely different here. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was being persecuted for what he was preaching. Jesus himself, the flawless, faultless Son of God, perfect, was tortured and crucified for what he did. If you look through all the Bible, all the disciples persecuted, and all of them eventually were martyred except for one, and that was John, and he was still boiled in oil and just survived it. You know, So don't let anyone tell you that there's no such thing as persecution. You can be anointed and persecuted. Don't let anybody tell you that just because you're facing hard times that the Lord isn't with you. It could be that you're going through the storm in life that you're going through right now, and you're getting hated by the people that are hating on you, and you're getting pressured by the people that are pressuring you because you are right in the middle of God's will for your life and doing what he told you to do. So Stephen is preaching his guts. Are y'all hearing that ring on my microphone that I'm hearing right now? No? Can you bring me down just a little bit? I'm hearing a bad ring up here. not affecting anyone else. It's affecting me like crazy. Um, so, so Stephen's there, and he's got this crowd all riled up. And we'll continue the story here in Acts 7, jumping down to verse 56. Look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God and at this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Now, I had some rough crowds being a preacher, but I've never had anybody cover their ears, shout me down, run and grab me, and drag me outside of a city to stone me. 
But meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was there watching what was happening. And the Bible will say later that Saul gave his approval on what was happening to Stephen. These people drugged Stephen out of preaching outside the city, and they were going to murder him. And Saul was okay with it. And why wouldn't he be? I mean, if you know anything about uh, Saul's background, you know that um, Saul, he had dual citizenship. He had a father who was a Roman citizen. He had a mother who was a Jew. So he had the best of both worlds at the time. And he came from a very wealthy family. And we know this because he was sent at the age of 14 to Jerusalem to study under a Pharisee named Gamaliel. You didn't just get to do this. Gamaliel was considered one of the wisest and most esteemed Pharisees, part of the Sanhedrin. He, and he wasn't just respected in that circle, and he wasn't just respected for his wisdom in, in the temple courts. Like His knowledge got him fame outside of that because he was one of the greatest minds of his day. He was brilliant in everything that he said and everything that he did. And that's who Saul, who would later become Paul, was sent to train under. You had to have money to make that happen. And not only that, you had to be able to show potential. So Saul was a brilliant young man. You didn't just get to study under the greatest minds without possessing a great mind yourself. And that's what he did. He grew up, he became a Pharisee. A lot of people don't realize that about Saul. He was a Pharisee. Um, he studied under a Pharisee. He was an expert of the law of Moses. He's an expert. In fact, because of his training and his teaching, Saul would have had what would be the equivalent today of a, of a PhD. He would have had a doctorate in uh, what would have been the law, Levitical law and the law of Moses. He, he was sharp in it. And not just that, but um, in, uh, in legal aspects, he was brilliant too. He knew how to work the court systems. He was, he was incredibly sharp and gifted mentally. And he was well-respected in his circle. But because Saul had had so much training and because Saul had brought, been brought up as a Roman and brought up as, uh, at, with a Jewish mother you know, and received that training, he was very, very by the law and very legalistic. He would have been heart and soul devoted to the law of Moses. And he would have hated anything that stood in opposition of the law. He would, have, he would have just hated it. He would have hated it just like the Pharisees hated it when Jesus preached something that stood in opposition to the law. Saul, soon to be Paul, would have had that kind of passion. So when this group of people started popping up, talking about this Jesus that had been executed for crimes against the church and for speaking blasphemy, Saul would have said, enough of that junk, let's put them down. They're standing in opposition to the law. He would have seen Jesus as a false prophet, and he would have seen the early church as a cult. That would have been his point of view, because that's the point of view of all the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin at that time. And so he would have agreed with all of that, but what Saul didn't realize was that all of that was about to change. And he was about to make a huge decision, a huge choice for change 
in his life. Kind of like the gentleman I'm fixing to tell you about. His name is Alfred Nobel. You guys have heard of Alfred Nobel? brought a picture of him to show you this morning. Um, he lived in the mid to late 1800s. Alfred Nobel is famous for inventing dynamite. He's a guy that invented dynamite. So all you guys that like to blow stuff up, any of y'all rednecks watching online today, you just clicked on by accident and you like blowing junk up, this is a guy that you want to say thank you to. Alfred Nobel created dynamite. And he became wealthy selling dynamite to different countries, different organizations. He, he got really rich really fast. And in his, when he got to be in his mid-60s, his brother passed away. So he went to the funeral, came back home, and he went down into his kitchen to have breakfast and read the newspaper and catch up on what was happening in the world. And he flipped around to the page where the obituaries were because he wanted to see if his brother was listed in it. And what he saw in there rocked him to his core. He didn't see his brother's name. He saw his name in the obituary. That's crazy. They had gotten the names wrong. And not only had they had gotten the names wrong, they had gotten the whole person wrong. They had thought that Alfred himself had passed away, and so they wrote the obituary about him, and the title on the obituary was The Merchant of Death is Dead. And when Alfred read that, it was like a slap in the face. He said, this is how they're going to remember me? Yeah, The Merchant of Death? All I did was sell dynamite. You know, and he, he got mad and he actually thought about suing the newspaper for defamation of character. And then he stopped before he did that and he realized, you know what, these guys are right. They just printed the truth about me. So he said, I'm going to do something about this. For the next 10 years of his life, he did something about it. He said, I want to set up a trust fund, and I want to put all the profits of all the money that I get off the sales of my dynamite into this fund, and I'm going to set up an award, and I'm going to give this award to any individual that does something significant to promote peace in our world, and I want to change my name that way. And over the next 10 years, Alfred Nobel began to change his name. That's why when you hear about the Nobel Peace Prize Award, you associate something amazing that's been done to promote the cause of peace in the world. You don't think about the merchant of death. See, he did something to change the course of his legacy. He did something to change the direction of his life. He did something to change how people perceived him, but more importantly, he did something that made an incredible impact and served as a point of inspiration for people all around the world. You know, when he died, he had inscripted on his tombstone, this right here, he says, everyone should have the opportunity to read their obituary and then change in midstream and write something new. That's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. And that's exactly what's happening here in the life of Saul He's, he's heading one direction, he's thinking one way, and suddenly he's going to have an encounter here pretty soon that's going to rock him to his core, and everything's going to change about him. Um, and I think if, if you're looking at things that we can learn about this conver conversion of Saul to Paul, one of the first things that you can look at and we can pull from this is that you can't determine the legacy you're given, but you can determine the legacy you leave. 
I'll say it again. You can't determine the legacy you're given, but you can determine the legacy that you leave. Now, you might have been raised in a house that hated people because of the color of their skin. But that doesn't mean that you have to continue that legacy. It can stop with you. You can choose to change it. Amen? You can choose to change it. You may have been raised in a broken home where one or even both of your parents weren't there and you didn't have anybody to help you along the way. Or maybe you had a parent that was just dysfunctional and maybe they were present but they weren't present and they were anything but helpful in helping you in life. Listen, that's not something you have to pass on to your children. You can change the course of that legacy. It can start with you. Amen? See, Paul had a pedigree of, of a legacy, a culture from the Romans and culture from his mother's Jewish background. And he had been raised in the Sanhedrin court by one of the greatest Pharisees ever. And that was his legacy. His legacy was persecuting the church. And he was about to change all of it. That same guy, the same guy that, that would have seen Jesus as a false prophet later in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, would write this. He says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not a false prophet anymore, but the gift of God, Christ, who had come to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, you can make a change. The legacy that you're given in life doesn't have to be the legacy that you pass on or the legacy that you continue to live. You can make a change. You can make a change. You know, the Bible says that all, oh my gosh, the Bible says that in Christ we are a new creation. That the old is gone and that the new has come. Aren't you glad that the old is gone and the new has come? You know, you can change in midstream. You can change in midstream and write a different story with your life. Another thing that we can learn from this conversion that we see in the life of Saul as he becomes Paul, is that you, you can't realize the greatness of God's grace until we realize the ugliness of our sin. And I think one of, one of the biggest reasons why Paul wrote so much about grace in scriptures because he had received so much grace in his life from God. If you look in Acts chapter 8, just skipping a little bit forward in the story, Saul it says, was one of the witnesses of seeing Stephen being stoned to death. And he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Saul persecuted the church. Saul killed Christians. Saul ripped families apart and threw mothers and fathers in jail and separated them from their children. Saul was the most lethal force ever unleashed on the church itself but he didn't, wasn't there when Jesus said the words on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it he wasn't there to hear Jesus say all of that but I think one of the reasons why Paul wrote so much about grace was because he knew how much he had been forgiven of he knew the ugliness of his past he knew the ugliness of who he was he knew what he had done and he knew that in spite of all of that that Jesus still died on the cross for him when he was putting people in jail, when he was persecuting the church, when he was sending Christians to their death, he knew that Jesus died and spent his, his precious blood to cover all of that. Paul knew 
that he had received so much grace that covered the years when he was Saul. Aren't you proud of the fact that you can say you're covered by the grace of God? If you look back on all the stuff that you've done, aren't you glad to say that we serve a Jesus that covers all of that under his blood and all of that under his grace? And we can look at the ugliness and the jacked up stuff that we've done in our past and we can know that it is all done. It was all finished. It was all paid for and taken care of on that cross. Because the grace of God was bigger than the ugliness of the sin that we had in our lives. There's this guy named Beto. If you guys are looking for a new name for some children, there's a good one for you. Beto is a good one. Um, Beto was a homeless guy that lived in Nicaragua. He's on the streets. He's a bum. And... His clothes were ripped and shredded because he'd been out on the streets for a long time. And two missionaries that went to the country to answer the call of God on their lives. And they were there preaching the gospel. And as fate would have it, you know, soon they crossed paths with Beto out there on the streets. And they would witness to him. And he said, I don't want anything to do with that Jesus stuff. And so they'd leave him alone until they saw him. The next time they were out in town telling people about Jesus and they would bring him some food and take him some clothes and he kind of became a project of theirs while they were reaching the people in the city and they would always come up to Vito and invite him to church and say, why don't you come to church with us, man? Why don't you come to church with us? Jesus is the best thing that will ever happen to you. I don't want anything to do with that Jesus. I don't want anything to do with that church. So a few months went by and They finally got the paperwork cleared and the two missionaries decided they wanted to open a coffee shop in the city so that they could use the funds brought in from the coffee shop to help provide for the outreach efforts of their missions work in the country. And so they would make coffee during the day and sell coffee and in the afternoon and the evenings they would go out on the streets and talk to people and there would be Vito. Beto, why don't you come to church? I don't want anything to do with that church. And then they said, well, Beto, why don't you come to the coffee shop and have some coffee? It'll be on us. And Beto said, that I can do. So he would go to the coffee shop, and after a while they built a relationship with Beto, and he began to open up to them, and he told them that he'd been raised by a man who was an alcoholic and grew up with a rough childhood, and Later on in his life, he had turned to alcohol as a stress relief in his life and became addicted, and he was a full-blown addicted alcoholic, and it had eventually cost him his job as a shoe cobbler and cost him his family, cost him his marriage. And for 10 years, he'd been out on the streets, divorced, hadn't seen his wife, hadn't seen his kids, and had grandkids that he'd never even met because of this condition in his life. He would literally wake up every morning and before he became hungry for food he would crave alcohol and try to find money to to get his next buzz off of the bottle and these missionaries heard this story and they would pray with him and pray for him and eventually Vito gave his heart to the Lord they won him over And they said, well, Vito, now that you're making these changes in your life, why don't you just stay here in the coffee house, in in the back room of the coffee shop, and you can work here 
and save up some money and we'll help you get back on your feet now that you've had this heart change and and if you want to you can start coming to church with us and he goes oh that would be amazing that would be so great and he stayed in the coffee shop and would work during the day and stay in there at night and he went to church with them on Sunday and eventually Vito beat the addiction and he overcame the hold of alcohol on his life and he was back there working one evening in the back room of the, the coffee shop just writing some things down and he noticed a big pile of burlap sacks and he had an idea. He went to the owners of the coffee shop and he said, hey guys, uh, all these burlap sacks you guys have piled up back here what are they for? And they say, oh, this is just a leftover batch from when we have our coffee beans shipped in here and we just pile them up in the back. Eventually, we're just going to get rid of them. And he said, well, can I have them? Because I want to try to do something with them. And they said, sure, go ahead. And so Beto started crafting shoes. He went back to his old trade. He started crafting shoes out of burlap sacks in the back room of this coffee shop. And they were good shoes, actually. And so what he did was he used it for a ministry, and he gave shoes to all the kids in the church. And then he would give his shoes to needy people in the community, and he would give his shoes to people in the church that didn't have money to buy new shoes for themselves. And soon word started to spread about Beto's shoes. And he became like a, a regionally famous kind of guy, and people would come to him and have Beto make shoes for them, and people from other areas would... would come in and have Beto make custom shoes for him. And eventually the owners of the coffee shop helped him set up a website and he began to sell his shoes internationally online. He sold over 25,000 pairs of shoes initially, made a nest egg of money for himself, got back on his feet, was able to get an apartment for himself. Now listen to this. He reconnected with his old wife because she had seen the change in him. He began to court her again and date her again and won her heart back over, and God restored that marriage. They were remarried. The relationship between him and his children was restored because they saw the change that Jesus had done in his heart. He got to meet his grandchildren for the first time, and he's still alive and Every Sunday, he goes to church, and he sits on a row with his entire family, and they worship God together. Don't tell me that the grace of God doesn't have the power to change and restore lives, because it does. It does. We don't realize the greatness of God's grace until we realize the ugliness of our sins. And I think it's like Vito the same would be true for us today that we are all just one decision away from changing our lives. We're all just one decision away from changing our lives. Just like Saul was fixing to be one decision away from changing the course of his life and stepping into this ministry that he never saw coming, becoming this person that we would know as Paul. It all came down to one decision. And it didn't come easy because if you look in Acts 9... Starting in verse 1, Saul was going to take his hate parade against the church on a tour and take it out of Jerusalem and take it on the road and go to a city called Damascus. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus and so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what the early church was called, the way, whether 
men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Saul was fixing to be faced with a choice. And it's funny, he's on his way, on his way to destroy another group of the church. And he's presented with a choice. I think we all have opportunities to choose who we're going to be and who we're going to become and whether or not we're going to answer the call of God on our lives. And I bet you if you stop and you think back on your life, you'll just see moments and just earmarked in time where you made a critical decision that affected the course of your life for a season. And it was either a good decision or a bad decision. How many of you guys have ever made a bad decision in your life? Yeah, me too. You guys watching online at home, I guarantee you, bad decisions. Um, I made some good decisions too, but I've definitely made some bad decisions. I think one of the reasons we make bad decisions is because one of the greatest enemies that we face in making those decisions is ourselves. In fact, one person put it like this, our greatest enemy is our inner me. That part inside of us that, that nobody can see, that part inside of us that, that nobody can really get to except Jesus. It's that part that we like to hide the most. And if we're honest about it, it's that part of us that sometimes we try to hide things from God in, that inner part of who we are. And we have the opportunity for change in our lives. And I think most people would, would run to Jesus and say, Lord, Please forgive me. We want to go to Jesus and receive his forgiveness. And we want to go to Jesus and receive the grace that he pours out on us. And, and maybe we want to go to Jesus so that we can sense that feeling of being alive on the inside of us for the first time. But when it comes to complete and total change and surrender to him, that's where the inner me becomes our enemy. And I think sometimes we hold on to things that we just don't want to let go of yet because... We come to that point of decision in our lives. And for a lot of us, we come to that point of decision with a lot of baggage and a lot of carryover from previous decisions and things that people have done to us. And we choose to hold on to these things because they're familiar and because they're comfortable. And the Lord wants to do a complete transformation in our lives and we say, yes, Lord, everything. But we're going to keep this. It's kind of kind of a, a bug out bag for when things get rough in our lives. We're going to grab this and run with it. We're going to hold on to this box of things that we're familiar with and comfortable with. So we, we get used to the hurt in our lives and used to the anger and the bitterness that we hold on to because of what people have said and done to us. And over time, we begin to identify ourselves with the hurt that we carry around inside of us and the thought of moving forward without the anger and the resentment and, and the bitterness that, that, that we've used to, to fuel ourselves and push ourselves past all of this stuff and slam all the doors on all the people that have done this stuff. And you want me to give this up to you? I don't know how to function without this stuff. I don't know how to forgive completely the person that's cheated on me. I don't know how to completely let go of the drugs or the alcohol. I can put them down, 
but I'm not going to let them go completely. I'm going to keep them on the shelf because when stuff gets rough and I start to feel stressed out, I know I can run to this and I can get lost in being drunk. I can get lost in being high and I can numb myself to what's happening and I know it's not going to get rid of everything and it's still going to be there when I wake up but this is familiar and this is comfortable and this right here I know I know I know how this works I'm just going to hold on to this for just a little bit longer and I'm going to choose to follow you but I'm going to follow you on my terms and I'm going to follow you from a place of comfort I'm going to follow you from a place that I feel Secure, and God's not asking us to do that. He wants complete and total surrender from all of us, all of our lives. He doesn't want us to look to relationships to find security. He wants us to look to Him to be whole and complete. He's the answer. We put all of this stuff in this box. And I think one of the, the biggest hindrances to changes is ourselves because we don't choose to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. We hold on to the childhood trauma. We hold on to the disappointments of life. We hold on to the hurts in church and the people that have let us down. We hold on to those things instead of releasing them to the Lord. And that's where a lot of us sit in life. And Saul had a lot of baggage that he was walking around with. He had this encounter with the Lord and Jesus just straight calls him out in Acts 9 verse 4. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him. I love that. Some translations say that he fell off of his horse. I heard one preacher say one time that Saul fell off his high horse and landed on his donkey. I think, I think we're, we're going to be honest. I mean, if I was going to be honest with myself, I could look back on times in my life where God should have just knocked me off my high horse and put me on my donkey. You know what I mean? In fact, let's have a little bit of fun. Look at the person next to you and say, hey, Jesus can put you on your donkey. He can. That's what he did with Saul. He knocked him down and he heard this voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? See the change in Saul's language immediately when he's in the presence of Jesus. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's interesting to note that Saul never did one thing to Jesus. He did everything he did to the church of Jesus and the Christians that were on the earth today. But Jesus took it as though he had done it personally to him. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I love this because the goad was a tool that was used by herdsmen and, and shepherds, okay? A goat is what you would use for an animal that just would not listen to you. A goat was a long stick that had a point on it, and so you would kind of prod the backside of the cow or the sheep or the ox or whatever it was to get them to go back to the herd because every other effort had failed. You tried to lead them back to the herd and they didn't want to go back to the herd. You tried to call them back to the herd. They didn't want to, you tried to coax them in with food. They didn't want any of that. So as a last resort, you're going to take this goad and goad the animal and prod them back using pain as a stimulant. Jesus was calling Paul a hard-headed animal here. That's what he was saying. 
It's hard for you to kick against the ghost. You can keep blazing your own trail and doing what you want to do, but I'm going to tell you there's going to be pain associated with that. You're at the season in your life where it felt like Jesus needed to goad you back to where you needed to be. We have any hard-headed animals in the church this morning that needed some goading? I know I did in different seasons of my life, and I'm grateful that the Lord corrected me in those seasons, and I'm grateful that he didn't give up on me. And even though their seasons were uncomfortable, I'm grateful because they were uncomfortable for a reason, because they were pushing me back to where I needed to be. And Saul is on the ground having this conversation with Jesus. And he went down on the ground, Saul, and he's about to come back up converted and changed and we're going to see the first glimpse of Paul that we ever see in scripture I think probably one of the more powerful takeaways from the conversion of Saul to Paul that we can have is this is that Jesus pursued Saul before Paul pursued Jesus Jesus pursued Saul before Paul pursued Jesus, aren't you so grateful that Jesus was not intimidated by our sin? Aren't you grateful that Jesus pursued us and ran us down? He came after us when we wanted nothing to do with him. He still died for us. He still bled out for us. He still tugged on our hearts while we were trying to blaze our own trail and do our own thing in life. He had moments after moments of crossroad experiences for us where he pursued us to the point to get us to make a choice on continuing to Damascus, bent on doing what we want to do, or having a transformation from the inside out. I'm so glad, I'm so glad that Jesus pursued us. I'm so glad that he pursued Saul here in Acts chapter 9, verse 6. This is Paul is writing about here. He says, So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Oh, that's a powerful question. See, that's, that's a sign of complete surrender there. He's not a false prophet anymore. Now Saul is calling Jesus Lord. And we're seeing this conversion happen in his heart and his complete surrender and he says what do you want me to do i know what i was fixing to do and i know i thought what was i thought it was right but what do you want me to do lord what do you want me to do? i think a lot of us should hit pause in our lives from time to time and ask the question lord what do you want me to do what do you want me to do not my will but yours be done in my life. What do you want me to do in my family? How do you want me to lead as the head of the household? What, what do you want me to do as a wife? What do you want me to do as a parent? What do you want me to do as a student in my school? Lord, tell me what to do and I'll do it. What do you want me to do with my gifts and my talents and the things that you've given me, my finances and, and all the resources that I have? Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? Not what I want to do. What do you want me to do? And I think 
a lot of times when we get honest and we ask those questions and we hit a moment of complete surrender in front of Jesus, the first place he's going to go is right here. And he's going to say, there's so much I want to do through you. And there's so much that I want you to do. But before any of that can happen, Saul, I need you to make a choice and become Paul. Because there's a lot of stuff that I want Paul to do. But we've got to get rid of Saul first. He says, I want you, I want you to give me the opportunity to help you change in midstream and begin to write a different story with your life. I want you to give me an opportunity to take the hurt and take the ashes that you are holding in your hands, all that life that you've lived, and let me make something beautiful out of it. I want you to hand me the times that you were cheated on. I want you to hand me the times that you were betrayed. I want you to hand me the times that you were absolutely devastated by life. When you were battling cancer. When you lost the baby. When they walked out on you. I want you to hand me the times when you were divorced. I want you to give them all to me. I want you to give them all to me. And lay them down. And get rid of all of it. And put it in my hands. And I will take all of the mess in your life and I will turn it into a beautiful testimony that I can use to reach people that could not be reached in any other way except by your story except by your testimony because there are people out there that need to hear the story of your life and what you've been through and how I have changed you and how I've restored you and how I've taken the evil of the world and the attacks of the enemy and I've turned them into something beautiful inside of you and how I've established you as my child, how I put your feet on solid ground. I want it all. It's a powerful, powerful moment of choice and decision in Saul's life because he's giving all of this over to the Lord, all of this tradition, all of these holdings. He said, look, Saul, there's so much I want to do through you as Paul. Do you understand that there's over half of the New Testament that you still got to write? That there are missionary journeys that you've still got to go on. That there are messages that you have to preach. That there are Timothys that you have to disciple. And one of, the, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture I'm ever going to use you to write is found in the book of Ephesians. And it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us. I'm going to use the words penned through you to ignite faith in people and churches all around the world. And I'm going to use these words to inspire other people to let them know that the course of your life up until now doesn't have to be the rest of your story. I can do something immeasurably more than I you could possibly think or imagine or dream up. I desire to do so much more 
in and through you. Paul gets back up and he goes to Damascus. I think it's interesting that his situation didn't change, but his focus did. He still went to Damascus, but he went for a different reason. It was the launch and the beginning of the ministry of one of the most powerful tools that has ever been used in the hand of God. But it all came down to a moment of choice. Just like our lives come down to a moment of choice. And I want to give you an opportunity today to make a choice. Are you still wrestling with that inner me? That enemy? That works against you? To cut out the change that God tries to do in you? Are you still holding on to your past? I want to encourage you today not to hold on to your past at the expense of your future. I want to encourage you today to stop midstream and write something different with your life today. You guys watching at home, same thing. I don't want you to to tune out of what's happening here right now. I want you to hit pause on your whole life and just be honest with yourself. Is there some change that needs to happen? Because I'm here to tell you that the only way that full change can happen in your life, the only way it can really happen is out of a moment of complete surrender to Him. That's all that He's asking for. You trust me for your salvation and you trust me to do so many things in your life. Why don't you trust me with all of your life? Why don't you give me the things that you're holding on to and let me write something beautiful with it. Let me use what you've been through to change your world, to change those around you.